You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott, and welcome, everybody. Here's what's ahead. A huge day for investors. 25% of the S&P's market cap is set to report tonight. It's just the four big tech giants. Is this a make-or-break moment for the market and for that trade? We'll dig into that. Plus, an exercise in futility. That's what Las Vegas Sands president says about running a big resort on the Strip right now. But they're paying their workers through October. We're going to speak with the president, Rob Goldstein, exclusively about all of that ahead. And delivery, doctors, decor, and driving. The home trade is outperforming. Even with all the excitement priced in already, it continues to surprise the street. We have some huge movers from that sector today. We'll dig into all of those stories. But we do begin with the broader sell-off. We're off the lows. Dom Chu is here with more. So the sell-off, yes, because it was down 547 points at one point for the Dow Industrials. But as you can see here, we're only down 245 now. And look at the NASDAQ. The trend is your friend. The reason why I say that is we know the outperformance of the NASDAQ over the last several months here. But look at this. It was in the red today. Now a handy quarter percent gain for the NASDAQ. The S&P was down 54 points at the low. Now you can see down about 15. So, yes, kind of the best levels of the day so far. Let's take a look at these particular sectors because they are the ones driving the action. Consumer discretionary and consumer staples, the two outperformers so far in today's trading. Meanwhile, economically sensitive or cyclical stocks in sectors like financials and energy among the laggards. So a bit of a mixed trade in terms of sectors so far today. And Kelly mentioned it. These four stocks, perhaps the most, in fact, I'm just going to say it, the most important day for earnings season so far this quarter. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, all of these guys up on the trade so far today. The reason why it's important is because these four stocks represent 16% of the overall S&P 500, a massive day for earnings reports. I can only imagine, Kelly, that our colleagues Sarah Eisen and Wilfred Frost will be very busy this afternoon on the closing bell. Back over to I you. I think I saw Wilf reading his notes over there already. Uh, Dom, thanks. Let's get to Treasuries, though. The stock market isn't the only story today. The yield on the 10-year is hitting a low we haven't seen since April, and that basically means we're about to hit a record low. Let's get over to Rick Santelli with more on all of these big moves. Rick? Yes, every part of the curve outside of 30-year bonds is guns hot. Look at a year-to-date of two-year. Look at how flat it is, but the drift is lower. And trading 12 basis points, well, that would be a new low closing yield. And threes, fives, and sevens are also gun hot, meaning should they close at current yield levels, they would beat new all-time low yields. Now, the 10-year, look at the intraday of 10-year. Here it hovers at 54 basis points. It's been a smidge lower. That would be tied for the all-time low yield close, as you can see on this March 1st chart. It was on March 9th. But... The 10 years giving it a run for the money, but we are only splitting basis points here. The reality is, with the Fed treating bond investors and indeed some equity investors as children pricing everything for them and having QE as much or as deep as they want, they can pretty much peg interest rates anywhere they want. Finally, the dollar index also uh, weak. And if you look at a May 1st, 2018 chart, should we close at these levels, it'll be over a two-year low, and it continues to drop, putting more pressure on commodity prices to the upside. Kelly, back to you. Rick, real quickly, because I wrote about this today. We're about to talk a little bit more about it. Uh, yesterday, Jim Karen said, look back to 2012. The dollar was at the 75 to 80 range. How plausible would a move down to those lows be to you? Well, I think it's plausible, but I wouldn't look for it to occur in a very aggressive fashion. And I would think that the glide path lower for the dollar is going to be only as intense as the strength in the euro to the upside. I really think half the weakness in the dollar story is what's going on in Europe. 
And I would also say that should we get more volatility or more downside trade to the equity markets domestically and globally, that will slow down the slide in the dollar. Hmm. All right. Helpful. Thank you, sir. Rick Santelli, we appreciate it as always. Well, yesterday is the busiest day of earnings season, but we're now halfway through the results. Let's get to Bob Bassani with a look at who's been winning so far and who is falling behind. Bob? And Kelly, uh, the reopening story is a little rocky, but earnings so far have been a pleasant surprise and they're rising for the third, qu- third quarter numbers. And that's what matters here. Just take a look. So normally about 70 percent of companies beat the estimates this time at the halfway point. 80% are beating. Actually, that's quite significant. You never see those kinds of numbers. More importantly is how much they're beating it. Their average number, earnings number, is 13% above the consensus. That's way above the historic average. Usually it beats by about 3%. Why is this happening? Partly it's because analysts have had a difficult time figuring out what's going on without a lot of guidance, but it's also because they likely set the bar too low. They were too pessimistic on the earnings estimates. Look today. I'll show you some winners. Semiconductors, they're just killing it. Lamb Research, big semiconductor equipment manufacturer, they talked about the explosion in work from home and e-learning. Their numbers were terrific. We've heard that through all the semiconductors. Teladoc, this is e- uh, telemedicine. Their numbers were terrific. 200% increase uh, in their traffic they've seen recently. And PayPal, it's very simple. Online buying is exploding. The PayPal CEO was virtually uh, amazingly ecstatic on his conference call. Strongest quarter since going public. Daniel Schulman said, I think it's clear that we've tipped into a digital first economy. And Kelly, again, Q3 earnings estimates are going up. That's also providing support for the market. Back to you. And we'll take it. Bob, thank you very much. Bob Bassani. So we're just hours away from a make or break moment for your money as the four horsemen of the recovery rally report after the bell. The big tech names you see there behind me. So what is most important to the market? Is it big tech, the Fed? What about the weak dollar, the fiscal deficit? Let's ask Michael Cugino. He's president of the Permanent Portfolio Family of Funds. And Bob Michael is head of Global Fixed Income Strategy at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Great to have you both here. And, Michael, I'll begin with you. How would you explain what's driving overall the rally in stocks, the rally in gold, you know, and how important are big tech earnings tonight for the market? All of the above, Kelly. They all factor in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I think the Treasury yield curve is going down because there's a little fear of fiscal stimulus slowing down or maybe not being as great as it has been. That's a problem for uh, the economy pulling out of you know where we are right now. Uh, that's obviously weighing on uh, equities at the moment and also is providing the lift in gold and silver and commodity prices. The weaker dollar obviously is factored into that as well. And the dollar is trading off of other currencies as it always does. Uh, with te- you know tech earnings coming up tonight, it's obviously a big night. You guys have focused on it. And uh, you know these companies are trading up because they're making money despite the, the economic situation. And they'll continue to do so if the reportings, if the, the earnings reports are justifying that performance. And so it's a big day and it's going to be exciting to see what happens after one o'clock today. And Bob, I'll turn to you to talk bond uh, yields and what's going on. I mean, what's happening is kind of fitting into what you've warned us about, uh, which for some time, which is that there's no reason why the 10-year couldn't go all the way to zero. I mean, I think the British 10-year is maybe about to even turn negative. I mean, we've, we've seen this time and again. So, you know, how much lower could we go? And I think Michael's point is interesting. You know, are we falling lately because people are fearful that we're not going to get a big enough fiscal stimulus package? Well, I think we could go substantially lower in here. And I think there are a couple things. One, uh, Chair Powell yesterday said it will be a long period of time before they even think about thinking about thinking about 
raising rates. Your starting point is the seven years it took them to raise rates during the financial crisis. As the market begins to lock into that, then you erase the fear of going further out the yield curve. I don't think this Federal Reserve will take policy rates negative, and I use this Federal Reserve because there could be changes after the election, but there is money overseas, you point out, that is in markets where there are negative yields or zero yields, and that money continues to pour into the U.S. bond market. So zero real, zero yields are, are not unrealistic at all. And Bob, I know this isn't your purview per se, but how would you know, is that supportive of stocks? I mean, is there any you know, can we live in this paradigm where bond yields are at zero, stock prices are rallying, we have a huge deficit, we have gold and silver taking off, but you know, where does inflation fit into all of that? I mean, how would you kind of square that circle? Well, it, it's supportive for all asset prices, and I think certainly with the Fed getting into the corporate bond market. That's relieved a lot of the funding pressure that companies would face in this kind of environment. And the same thing is happening in Europe. So you've got corporations that have access pretty much to unlimited capital at record low funding costs. That's got to be positive for equity investors. And then, of course, it's that search for yield. And you're looking at dividend yields in the U.S. are now higher than Treasury yields. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we think we, that could widen, I mean, the way that things are, are going, which is interesting. So, Michael Cugino, to you, tactically, if you hear someone like Bob say this is supportive for all asset prices, do you even have to be tactical? Um, or can you just say to people, listen, this is going to be a supportive backdrop for equities for quite some time? Well, you have to be tactical because the market is still underperforming. You know, you're, you're losing money this year. So, yes, you have to be tactical. Um, you know, to Bob's point, um, when capital is cheap, you can take more risk. And I think that explains part of the stock market's run as well and maybe underappreciated. The cost of capital is zero to negative after inflation. So why not take risks, big risks? And, and I think you're seeing that. So that money is going into risk assets. There's nowhere else to go with, with equal yields. I mean, I, the bond market's negative yields at the 30-year and gets worse as you go in. So the risk reward clearly isn't there. Commodities, money's going into commodities because of the weak dollar, because of the liquidity and because of the fear factor. So obviously that's a good piece. I think what you want to do here is hedge your bets. You don't know which asset class is going to pop when. So you want to be broadly exposed all over the place. That way you, you mitigate your risk of loss and you can pick up some gains along the way. Interesting. It's going to be a weird couple of years. Uh, we haven't even mentioned the GDP fell 33% annualized. And that, that's what kind of day it is. It doesn't even make the news by the afternoon. Michael Cugino and Bob Michael, we thank you both very, very much. It's expected, though, Kelly. It was expected. <laughs> yeah, maybe better than expected. Right, exactly. We've got a market flash with shares of Zoom dropping right now. Dom Chu here with the details. Dom. All right, maybe a little unexpected here, Kelly. We have Zoom shares that were positive on the day, now down about 3% now on accelerating volume. And this is coming on headlines out of Reuters saying that lawmakers in Washington, D.C. are urging a probe of Zoom video communications for violating Americans' civil liberties and regarding national security implications of their operations and their relationships with China. This is coming out of a bipartisan effort by U.S. Senators Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut, and also Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri. They are asking the Justice Department to investigate Zoom and TikTok as well. That's the reason why those shares are lower on the session right now. Of course, Kelly, 
Zoom has become ubiquitous for any professional working from home these days. We'll see if this trade carries out in the afternoon. Back over to you. Yeah, we'll have more on what's going on with TikTok, too, and kind of a back and forth with Facebook over uh, them launching a rival service. Dom, thank you. Dom Chu with the news there. Meanwhile, the biggest company in the world, Apple, is set to report earnings after the bell. The shares are slightly higher today ahead of those results, up about half a percent. That means up 30 percent this year, and they recently hit an all-time high. Josh Lipton is here with the key numbers to watch. Josh? Kelly, that's right. Apple stock has enjoyed a strong run here, climbing about 30% in the past three months alone, though some pressure here recently, down about 6% from its most recent all-time high hit on July 13th. So what to watch for in this print? Well, the focus will be on iPhone revenue and maybe even more so than usual because many don't think you're going to get guidance today. The expectation there is for $22.4 billion in the quarter, though investors might look past that number, instead focusing on just any color that they can get, suggesting that the annual iPhone fall release is still largely on track. Services revenue, the street thinks, is going to clock in at $13.2 billion. Morgan Stanley estimated that the App Store did grow 30% in the June quarter, its fastest quarterly growth in three years as more of us now stay home due to the pandemic. And that's another question for investors, that work from home trend and how it might have benefited Apple. For example, did that provide any kind of tailwind to the Mac? Kelly, back to you. Not to mention the better the App Store does, the more scrutiny they might face over whether it can exist long term in its current structure. Uh, We appreciate it, Josh. We look forward to it this afternoon. Thank you, sir. Josh Lipton with our Apple preview. Coming up, investors are looking to Congress for the next stimulus package, but a key vote on boosted jobless benefits just failed. So where do we go from here? We speak with Senator Amy Klobuchar about that, the president's election tweet, and much more next. Plus, despite casino stocks struggling, Las Vegas Sands says it'll pay employees through October. The company's president and COO joins us to discuss that and what the future looks like for this whole industry. We're back in two. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. Tomorrow is the day the extra $600 unemployment benefit is set to expire. Just a short time ago, the Senate failed to advance a trimmed-down $200 a week extension as part of a new stimulus bill. Here to talk about the stalled stimulus, Washington's continued push to regulate big tech, and the president's morning tweet about potentially delaying the election, Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. Uh, We welcome you, Senator. It's great to have you. That's a lot, so thank you. It is a lot, so I'll try to move through it quickly. And we definitely want to start on this vote uh, this morning that just failed. Can you explain why it failed and where you think we're headed next? Well, that's pretty straightforward. This was predicted to fail. Actually, the House passed an extension of unemployment benefits at the current rate uh, 60 days ago. Over 60 days, it's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. Um, What we need here, given the numbers that you have been talking about all day with the over 30 percent decrease with the GDP and the 10 percent decrease in the economy, we know, to quote the president, Uh, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't hardworking people out there stabilizing our economy every day, people trying to stay in business, including in my own state. But to me, that means you don't just do Band-Aids. You continue to look at what industries are being hit, what 
employees need, what people are out of work, and what right. do we need to get our testing system. They're proposing 20% of what was proposed in the House just to be able to get the tests out there so businesses can stay open or reopen again. Sure, although a lot of this is coming down to the unemployment benefit. So for our investing audience who's watching, can you tell them what you think the most likely outcome is here? Is it likely to just lapse some kind of change and continue at 600 a week? Is it going away? What do you think? Um, I think it should stay for now at 600 a week. Obviously, at some point when things are getting better, it tapers down, and there's ways we did that after the last downturn. Um, but I think there will be an agreement. It will be a gen general agreement. And I think it will include so many of the things that are in the HEROES Act right now. Uh, the Republicans put out a proposal that I thought was inadequate because it didn't include uh, state and local aid when all of our states and cities are in such big trouble. Hmm. didn't include the money for elections that I am negotiating right now with Senator Roy Blunt, uh, which is a good thing and didn't include um, adequate help for workers. So that's all being negotiated right now. Um, and I think that's part of why you see uh, the Democrats rejecting this partial deal, because uh, it is yeah. important that we do more when you're looking at those numbers that you've been talking about all day with our economy. Yeah, no, and again, it, to us, it now just looks like maybe there's sand in the gears of the whole package and the market's a little bit nervous I, I about don't, that. I, think we have to, I don't think we can go home without getting this done. We must get it done. All right, and I believe we will get it done. Let me pivot and ask you about the president's tweet this morning. Uh, we've, we've all seen it by now. Four hours ago, he said, uh, with mail-in voting, absentee, not absentee voting, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history, an embarrassment to the USA. He suggests delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote. Now, let me add, before this becomes too political, there are <laughs> elections even nearby. I, I believe uh, Representative Engel lost his congressional seat, and we only found out about it weeks after the election. It is taking a while to tabulate these results. And is there sure. a better way to approach the November election to avoid this kind of awful uh, purgatory that we might be in? Look, there will be delays in counting, but the key is that people have to be able to vote. And the president is doing a disservice to our democracy. And I'd say if you don't want to make it political, let's look at what some of the Republicans have been saying. Secretaries of State across the country, including the Secretary of State of Iowa, Republican, actually said that saying that vote by mail is fraudulent is basically, to paraphrase, doing a disservice. You have Republican governors uh, in Maryland and in Ohio and in New Hampshire that have fully embraced and asked for more assistance when it goes into this election. Um, and the fact that Mitt Romney is saying vote by mail has worked great in Utah. So see, I didn't make it political. Yeah. I used all Republicans. But I, I, I and that's wonder, why I think we're I mean, going to have more funding for vote by mail. People yeah. shouldn't have to choose between putting their ballots in a mailbox or having to go to the hospital and getting sick. Oh, 100%. I mean, this is and, and listen, the, you know, there's a lot of issues with the way that, that kind of the election day is currently done. But is there, should we set that deadline sooner or something? I mean, I know that that wouldn't make much sense either. But again, is we, we want to avoid the confusion and the agony of this being drawn out or votes being estimated oh, and changed. And You've got to be able to count votes. I've been through recounts, other even harder things, votes. Exactly. The Senate election that was 200 votes apart, not for me, um, in Senator Franken and Senator Coleman's uh, race. Um, and those things happen. They happen in America. But first of all, I think we're going to win big in this election. I don't think we're going to get there. But secondly, the president cannot delay the election. The election is set by law. He cannot 
take the Constitution and our laws into his own hands. And that's why I think you're seeing bipartisan support across the country for funding for elections when we're going from 5% vote by mail in states like New York to well over 60%. Of mm. course, that's going to involve some delays. It's going to involve needing funding for postage and envelopes. It's that simple. But it's a hell of a lot safer way to vote than what happened in Wisconsin where people were wearing homemade masks and yeah. garbage bags in the rain and 70 of them got coronavirus. Yeah, no, understood. It's, it's, it's going to be a mess and either my way. My last thing I will say is guess who votes by mail? The President of the United States in the comfort of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with his mail-in ballot that he gets from Palm Beach in his slippers. Under, I don't know if he was wearing I, slippers. I, said, I don't I think we know up. about the slippers part, but but understood. Before we go, uh, since we did have this big hearing yesterday with the big tech CEOs, it was unfortunate that they weren't there in person. I think it took a lot of the heat out of the hearing, frankly. Um, what is the most likely next regulatory step that you can foresee? Is Congress going to write new laws for tech, or is this going to be legislated elsewhere? We must have new antitrust laws. And one of my goals as the ranking Democrat on the antitrust subcommittee with my friend Mike Lee uh, is to make antitrust cool again. And I think you're starting to see in this pandemic uh, the enormous effect that this consolidation has. Look at what was proposed with Uber Grubhub. With DoorDash, if that had gone through, those companies would have controlled 90% of the market. And one of the things we learned at the tech hearing was that, number one, uh, Amazon wouldn't commit to the fact that it wasn't using some of the information they got from sellers to mm -hmm. create uh, their own products. Um, and we saw some of these emails uh, where uh, Mark Zuckerberg talked about, well, startups can be acquired. And I have long, long expressed serious concerns about the Instagram purchase by Facebook as well as WhatsApp. I think those deals must be examined. Um, and if we believe in capitalism, which so many of your viewers do. Mm -hmm. Look back at the antitrust laws. Mr. Sherman, Senator Sherman, was a Republican from Ohio. Our founding fathers, many of them came to America because they wanted the freedom to um, have their own businesses and not be forced to buy from monopolies. We need to update our laws, and I have a number of proposals, some bipartisan yeah. in this front, um, to update our laws to fit the economy we're in so we can ensure more innovation and lower prices for consumers. Well, Senator Klobuchar, I think we did a, got it all in. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kelly. A pleasure. Amy, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota joining us today. Coming up, the at-home trade, UPS, Teladoc, O'Reilly Automotive, and at-home group itself all putting up strong results and outperforming today. Some huge movers. Look at UPS having its one of its best days ever. We're going to dive into all of these numbers coming up. Plus, this week has proven that not all chip stocks are created equal. And a rising tide doesn't always lift all boats. That's next. Remember, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The exchange is back in a couple. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's check on markets. Even though you see negatives almost across the board, we're actually near session highs right now. So the Dow's down 222. At the highs, we were only down 190. But at the lows, remember, we, were, we had a 500-point sell-off today, so we've really made up some ground. Had some terrible reports this morning on GDP and jobless claims, but they did marginally beat expectations. So as you can see, not 
the street not too freaked out about that. S&P 500 down 12 points, four-tenths of a percent. Dow's down eight-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq is now positive by half a percent. So turning to the sectors, as you can imagine, technology, one of the stronger ones, consumer discretionary and services, that's your leadership right now. Not huge gains, but about half a percent to the upside. And this ahead of the big four reporting tonight in terms of tech and the overall market, 16 percent of the S&P 500, as Don pointed out. Weakest sectors, these are much bigger movers today. Look at financials down 2%. Again, yields are at record lows almost across the curve right now. Materials down 2% and energy is down 4%. Let's get over to Sue Herrera now for our CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. Michael Flynn will have to wait some more for a resolution of his long-running case, which emerged from the probe of Russian election meddling. A federal appeals court will now review a decision that would have forced the trial judge to approve the Justice Department's move to dismiss perjury charges against the former Trump advisor, even though he has pled guilty twice. Another setback for Major League Baseball. The Philadelphia Phillies are canceling all activity at their ballpark indefinitely after two staff members tested positive for COVID-19. The Phillies played the Miami Marlins last weekend, and that team now has 17 players and two coaches with confirmed cases. And Puerto Rico is getting heavy rain and strong winds as tropical storm Isaisas makes its way through the Caribbean. 400,000 people are now without power. The forecast is uncertain, but that storm could affect Florida this weekend. Keeping a close eye on that one for you. Kelly, back to you. Yeah, it's that time of year again. Sue, thank you very much. Shares of Qualcomm are moving higher today after reporting an earnings beat and giving an upbeat outlook. They're up 14 percent. And this follows a big jump by competitor AMD yesterday, which also raised its full year forecast. Still, the rising tide isn't lifting all boats in the semiconductor space. One stock definitely left out of the party is Intel. Take a look at some of these numbers. Qualcomm's up 83 percent from its 52-week low. AMD is up 185 percent. 70% for the year, by the way, AMD is that much higher. And Intel, still up from its yearly low, but it's only up 9%. And it's the only one that's now negative still for the whole year. Qualcomm and AMD are also both hitting fresh all-time highs today. Coming up from two bucks a share to 37 in four sessions and halted 20 times in just one day. Kodak is the stock of the moment. We're going to look at the extreme moves and what happens next. Plus, hate them or love them, investors certainly are in the love category with Crocs today after they also reported huge numbers. And the shares are up more than 250% since the market low. We're going to talk to the CEO about its growth. Can they keep it up? That's ahead. Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a couple of stories that should be on your radar today. It is time for Rapid Fire. And here to break down the headlines are Michael Santoli, Bertha Coombs, and Dominic Chu. Welcome, everybody. And we begin with Kodak. Holy cow. If you haven't heard this one, buckle up. The stock is soaring to levels not seen since 2013. It's up 1,600% this week, okay? Yesterday and today, Kodak was the most viewed ticker on CNBC.com. According to Robintrack, nearly 123,000 accounts have piled into the stock on Robinhood. The frenzy all kicking off on news the Trump administration is tapping the former camera maker to manufacture ingredients for COVID treatments, Dom. But it also brings to mind their whole, like, 
crypto thing from a couple of years ago. I mean, the, what is going on with Kodak? <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you. That for, first of all, companies reinvent themselves all the time. And, and it's a true American story when a company can go and kind of rise like a phoenix from the ashes. Still, the trading action in Kodak really reminds you that there are a lot of bubblicious type elements in just certain parts of the market. The reason why I say this is it was four trading days ago that you had Kodak as a $2 per share stock. It got as high mm-hmm. as 60, 60 yesterday. And I just went and checked options trading activity for this particular stock today. It costs so much to trade options. The implied volatility and prices there are so high that it basically costs you $13 to buy a put option <laughs> that has a strike price at the money at $36 right now for expiration that month. That just tells you how much craze there is in trading right now. Kel. And Mike, there's also a lot of focus on when the stock price started surging. Who knew what? Was it insiders? You know, the CEO's comp now goes up as a result of the stock moves. I mean, and this is, by the way, there's the Kodak sort of specific angle here. And then yeah. there's the fact that we've seen so many, remember when Hertz we just started going bananas because people were piling mm. in. It feels like that all over again. It does. Well, it has some of those ingredients, right? I mean, a, a widely known brand name that small investors who maybe aren't really intimate with the financials of this company uh, can latch on to. Uh, the vague hope that they're going to participate somehow in vaccine production. Uh, and yes, government largesse. And there was some insider buying of the shares uh, in June. Uh, that was while negotiations were underway. But before there was an announcement, there was also uh, kind of a botched press release on Monday that hit the wires and Mm. tweets and then was withdrawn because it was supposed to be embargoed. All this stuff really, though, just got thrown into the small speculator frenzy. And that's what you're seeing right now. There's just a whole lot of crazy being run through a very small float (laughs) stock right now. And Bertha, normally we'd have kind of the Uber driver, you know, kind of man on the street metric, but like nobody, we're not going anywhere now. I haven't heard anything anecdotal even about it. No, but you know what's really interesting is I was looking at the trading volume in the NYSE overall. At one point this morning, it was second only to the Churchill Capital's fourth SPAC, which went public today. Wow. So, you know, it was reminded me of what Jim Cramer called this the other day, Peter Navarro's SPAC. So this is definitely a speculative play there. And it's not just retail investors. And if it is, they are trading in huge volumes. Yes, huge. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of huge moves, this earnings season may not be as bad as the street feared, especially for these companies with an at-home advantage. O'Reilly Auto, at-home group, UPS, Intelli are all surging today after posting quarterly results in the past 24 hours. Each one of them says they fulfilled a specific lockdown niche. I mean, I can't get over the UPS move, but Bertha, let's start with Teladoc, uh, which is another just really strong performer. Uh, I guess the questions become, is this, does this set them on a permanently higher trajectory or is there going to be some give back after, you know, the pandemic winds down? Well, you know, what's interesting about them is that they are transitioning to and had been looking at transitioning to something that's more sustainable. So one of the things they're looking at for next year is doing a virtual primary care health plan. So, yeah, Kelly, your PCP would be in the cloud, essentially, but it would allow them to bring in through a pilot. Uh, Jason Gorovic, the CEO, told us this morning on Squawk Alley, through the pilot, they were able to bring in a dietitian, mental health, uh, you know, nutrition, and also uh, primary care preventive work, 
all so that people could access that virtually, which makes it a lot easier than them trying to coordinate between different providers. Yeah. And Dom and Mike, a quick word from each of you, your favorite mover of the day. Dom, you go first. You know, I still continue to like what's happening with some of these home improvement names, and I continue to watch those only because it resonates with me. I've done a lot of home improvement work around our house. I continue to see us spending more money on that, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Are you getting paid for it? I'm uh, not getting paid. I, I, I'm, I'm the general contractor. Yeah. I'm farming it out. So. And Mike? And UPS, I mean, you, you sort of alluded to it, Kelly. It seems as if it wasn't immediately grabbed, along with the Amazons of the world, uh, by people betting that we're just going to have that much more delivery activity on a long-term basis. And uh, UPS kind of accelerating into that position of saying, okay, maybe this is now going to be something more of an enduring trend and they can actually make it work volume I mean, it's up 15% today for UPS. I really can't get over it. All right, let's move along. An Impossible <laughs> Partnership is in the making today as Impossible Foods rolls out its flagship product at Walmart. Aditi Roy is here for more details. Aditi, how big a win is this and a blow potentially to Beyond yeah. Meat? Yeah, it's a big win for Impossible Foods. Uh, for Beyond Meat right now, you know, the shares of uh, Impossible's rival there, which has already, by the way, had its products at Walmart stores, are down about 2.5%. They really haven't moved much on the news. Now, grocery stores have been a big focus for Impossible CEO Pat Brown. And with the addition of these 2,100 Walmart stores, Impossible now has expanded its U.S. retail footprint 50x in fewer than six months. And that brings the total number of U.S. retail outlets carrying its products to more than 8,000. It seems like a lot, but it's still well behind the 25,000 U.S. retail outlets which carry Beyond Meat products. Those include Target, Costco, Whole Foods. Impossible, though, is catching up. Kelly, it just added a partnership with Trader Joe's this week, I'm sure there's more to come. It seems like our lamb grab right now for yeah. market share with both these companies. That's a great way of putting it. Mike, I'm surprised at how resilient Beyond Meat shares have been throughout this period, given that they, too, saw a really steep early spike. Yeah, I mean, the market clearly treating it as just this vastly growing category. Beyond Meat is really the only public way uh, to access it if you're an investor. And you, you often hear this at the early stages of some kind of new category that's getting out there, which is, well, this is kind of proof of concept, and maybe we're just mainstreaming uh, the whole idea. Uh, we'll see if that holds up, because, of course, Beyond Meat still has a pretty generous valuation given the size of the business. Yes, that's kindly put, as always. <laughs> the shares are at 123 bucks <laughs> today. Aditi, thank you. Impossible Foods CEO Pat Brown will be on Closing Bell today as if they didn't have enough going on with all the earnings. That's a first on CNBC interview that you don't want to miss. And finally, we have to talk TikTok. So much news on this front. The social media platform facing fierce competition as Senators Blumenthal and Hawley now push, as Dom just told us about the news a few moments ago, they're pushing for a probe into TikTok and Zoom about its Chinese ownership. TikTok is trying to fend off Instagram and YouTube, uh, giving, launching the TikTok Creator Fund to give influencers and content creators, guys, more than $2 billion to come to their platform over the next three years. Now, this was after the Journal last week reported that Facebook made some eye-popping offers to woo TikTokers to Instagram's Reels, which is set to launch next month. And TikTok CEO Kevin Meyer, remember he was from Disney, called for fair and open competition in a blog post ahead of the big tech hearing yesterday. And he criticized Facebook guys for these, uh, for what it says, they're, they're defending themselves in what's disguised as patriotism, Dom, uh, but is really just trying to, pr to, to say, we're, we want to come in and, and take, th take this business from you, basically. All right, so this is going to be, this is like in the kitchen, right? Can't take the heat, get out, crack a few eggs, make some omelets, do whatever, whatever illusion or metaphor <laughs> you want to use here. What you have is a situation where these types of companies need to make the investments early stage now to make sure that they get that user base 
sticky within their ecosystem. And that's kind of what they did. When, you know, Apple did the same thing with app developers on its platform. Uh, Android did the kind of the same thing with theirs. This is all about trying to make sure that there is a future for these people on those particular platforms. We know how much Instagram ate into Snapchat's market share when it came out with its platform for stories yep. and everything else. This is just something they have to do to compete. Of course, the patriotic side of things could be difficult given the Washington dynamic right now. Sure. And Bertha, it's, in, it's, it's somewhat brazen on Facebook's part because they're basically saying we're going to go in and try to create, you know, a, a killer for TikTok at the same time that we're under scrutiny for doing that with Instagram all those years ago. It is interesting. The thing that is fascinating to me is what these influencers, these people who have huge followings. I mean, I'm not on TikTok. I see the people usually on Twitter or mm -hmm. on Instagram. So I see them second derivative. But if they're going to be shelling out billions to get these people to make content for them, it's just amazing. You know, it's the type of thing where, Kelly, your mom probably says, stop doing those selfies. But if you're going to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars from these companies, wow, get better at it. And Mike, my final question to you is, are we faced with a choice where it's either TikTok wins and we're concerned about the Chinese ownership or TikTok loses and Facebook wins, but we're not sure if we even want them to? It could be something like that breaking down. I don't know where the whole Chinese ownership thing is going to get resolved down the road. Uh, also, I don't know if just the outright corporate dollars are going to be the determining factor uh, in who, who wins here because the virality of TikTok, um, you know, I got a couple in my home here in terms of the consumers of it. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and they also hilariously look down on uh, on millennials as being completely hopelessly out of date because they use things. It's true. You know, like the last year's platform. <laughs> yeah, no, so I know. It's pretty funny. No, I'm, I'm emblematic. Your daughters would well. find me a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, thank you all today. We appreciate it. Mike Santoli, Bertha Coombs, and Dom Chu for Rapid Fire. Still ahead, shares of Las Vegas Sands are climbing after CEO Sheldon Adelson made a promise to continue to pay employees through October. We're going to speak with the CEO and president of Las Vegas Sands about that next here on The Exchange. Don't don't go anywhere. Welcome back. While Las Vegas casinos are open, a lot of tourist travel and all conventions are on hold. Despite the recovery in Vegas slowing, Las Vegas Sands hasn't furloughed or laid off any workers. And CEO Sheldon Adelson is now pledged to pay employees around the world through October 31st. Joining me in an exclusive interview is Las Vegas Sands president and CEO Rob Goldstein, along with our own Contessa Brewer. Contessa? Kelly, thank you for that. Rob, it's great to see you today. Look, you've got monthly expenses of $365 million. And now this pledge to continue paying employees. Can you explain to shareholders how do you plan to capture a return on that investment? Well, obviously, we're taking a long-term view. Uh, the short-term view is to furlough people and cut costs, and that's doable. Uh, we've chosen, the Adelson family has chosen a different approach, which we built a team here over the last 25 years that's pretty valuable to us and has done a great job and, and stood by us when things weren't so good. So we're now standing by them. But we also believe business-wise, when things do return, we'll have the most, we have 8,000 people work here in Las Vegas for us, and we'll build a team that'll last a long time to come. And when business recovers, we'll be at the head of the class. So you can argue either way. Uh, it's a grand gesture. There's no arguing that. But I think long-term, when Las Vegas is uh, back on its feet, it will come back. Uh, we'll be in a very, very nice position to uh, take advantage of the, uh, the environment. Is it a gauntlet thrown down? Is it a challenge issued to other companies by Las Vegas Sands and by Sheldon Adelson? 
Uh, no, I don't see it that way. I think the Adelsons, both uh, Miriam and Sheldon, just believe that supporting people in these difficult times is the right thing to do from a, a moral perspective. At a time when this city is really having some uh, incredible challenges, they're doing the right thing. But also business-wise, we believe uh, this pandemic will eventually go away and we'll be at the head of the class in terms of uh, desirability, both for customers and also for employees. So what has been a very challenging market to get great employees, we have great employees, lots of them, and we plan to stand behind them. And we believe long-term will pay off from a, both a, an ethical, but also from a business perspective. Back in studio, Kelly. thank you again for joining us. I am curious about the importance of Sheldon Adelson to this company in the long term. You know, he was absent from a few earnings calls last year uh, with some health issues. Um, what can you tell us today about his tenure and any succession plans? I'll tell you, as strong as could be. He's doing great. He spoke this morning. Uh, he's full of energy. He's anxious to get back to work. He's frustrated by uh, the downtime. We usually are in Asia once a month. Uh, he travels incessantly, and him and his wife are anxious to get back to uh, the good old day, pre-COVID days. So um, I think he's in a great place uh, mentally and physically, and uh, he's going to be 87 years old. I think it's uh, wow. August 4th, but you wouldn't know it. <laughs> he's very vibrant. He's very alert, very sharp, and he's feisty, and he's anxious to get back to, uh, uh, to Asia and to the U.S. and get back on his airplane. So he's kind of frustrated, like many people, about the inability to travel and do things. But that's the environment but we live in. We accept it. There's not much like a socially distanced party for your 84th birthday or 87th birthday. Uh, Rob, I wanted to ask you, we, we got an announcement from uh, the Consumer Electronics Show, one of Las Vegas's biggest shows. It lifts all boats there on the Strip, and they're going all digital in January 2021. I know that was a blow to Las Vegas. Give me yes. a sense of what it takes to get that convention business back. Well, first of all, you have to realize Las Vegas has morphed into a convention. It's, it's a large-scale uh, city by any, any means you measure it. Uh, 150,000 sleeping rooms, uh, large conventions, large banquets. Uh, large is the word for Las Vegas, so not exactly an easy place to be in this environment. CES is the, is the, you know, the best of the best as far as Las Vegas shows go. Uh, it's not a good uh, thing for the city. It's hurtful short-term. Um, but we have an airlift problem as well. So think about where Vegas is at. It needs to fill all these rooms all the time at high rates. CES and shows like it drive that business, drive that segment. We can't be a regional driving destination for California. The airlift is 40% uh, it was pre-COVID. So CES just, uh, it's clearly a difficult time for us. And the question is what does change it? And from my perspective, we're in for some more pain around here because uh, you've got the scale issue, it's large. You've got the airlift issue. The consumer's concerned about being on an airplane or coming to a place like Las Vegas. So it's a challenge. Yeah. What changed it probably is a, either a, a vaccine or immunity or something that changes the, the consumer perception of this virus. And I don't see that happening short term. Okay. 20 is over. And so we have to think about that. Last question for you, Macau. Give me a mm. sense of where things stand right now with visas being issued to everybody but tourists. Yeah, I, well, the visa, what we saw this morning is positive. It's a, it's a small step in the right direction. But as you referenced, it's not for tourists. We're tourist-driven. Um, I think it will happen in the course of the summer, fall. It will be slow. It will not be large steps. It will be a series of small steps leading to a full-scale IVS opening for both Guangdong and all of China at some point. What that point is, no one really knows. But we do know that the Asian consumer 
The Chinese consumer is very conversant with a virus environment. They're used to masks and gloves and social distancing and temp checks. They're, they're not going to respond like Americans who've had a hard time with it. We also know that uh, they're not going to travel beyond China. So I think Macau will become a very favorable destination when yeah. those doors do open. But it, I think you shouldn't overestimate. Uh, uh, we're not there yet in terms of the IBS scheme. It's not at the point we can uh, celebrate. It's a pyrrhic victory this morning. It's a step in the right direction, but not the step. Rob Goldstein, it's a pleasure having you on CNBC. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was very interesting. Contessa, thank you. We appreciate you bringing that to us, Contessa Brewer and Robert Goldstein. Still ahead, shares of Crocs are climbing 3% today on an earnings beat, a strong one. CEO Andrew Reese joins us in a first on CNBC interview next. Welcome back. Shares of Crocs are higher after crushing earnings estimates, and they're now up more than 200% from the March lows. The company getting a huge boost from online sales, including record high 68% e-commerce revenue growth. Joining me now is Crocs president and CEO Andrew Reese. Andrew, it's great to have you here. How did the analyst community get caught so flat-footed by this, and what was primarily driving your strength? Well, to be fair, we didn't guide this quarter, as, as no company has guided this quarter. Um, a few things are driving our strengths. We had a, we came into the COVID uh, pandemic with a really strong year last year. Uh, we've had great uh, digital acceleration. We've emphasized and focused on our digital sales for a number of years right now. And then uh, most recently, we uh, generate a lot of online interest by donating 680,000 pairs, almost 40, $40 million at retail value to, uh, to frontline healthcare workers, which drove a lot of traffic to our site and, uh, and a lot of empathy for our brand. Yes, no, I see that. It, it certainly, I think, won you a lot of customer appreciation. The other thing is the, the, the Crocs are so controversial as to whether they're a good fashion choice, Andrew, is, uh, you know, I bought them. My two-year-old son will not take them off. I don't know how he would have gotten through this summer so far otherwise. <laughs> he doesn't need to wear socks. or just throw the sandals on, and he's, he's happy as a clam. Um, can you talk us through kind of the oh, – there he is. So, uh, so excited about it. Just an excuse to show kid pictures. Listen, tell me where your, what kind of channels um, is driving your strength, both through the U.S. market and also internationally. Number one, digital, right? So the number one is that's driving our strength is digital purchasing. So that's our own .com, but also major e-tailers, Amazon, Zalando, Zappos, et cetera. That's the, the most important. And then, you know, our traditional bricks and mortar wholesale customers, whether it be the family channel, so famous footwear or sporting goods um, academy are also doing very well indeed. Uh, I would say the consumer trends are coming in our direction, right? People are coming more casual. They want comfort. They want value. And, and, and we put a great, uh, we're a great choice if you want those things. What would you tell investors who are worried that this surge won't last? You'll have a hangover post-pandemic. Uh, I think it's really, really clear that this surge is not a one-time event. We've had a very strong, nine, strong 18, strong 19. We've really been rebuilding this brand over a multi-year period, uh, restructuring it, uh, making it far more relevant to the consumer on a global basis. I think this is just the beginning of what we can do. Um, so I think that's clear to uh, our analysts and our investment community, and uh, we appreciate all of their support. Andrew, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Andrew Reese is the president and CEO of Crocs after a strong earnings beat and outperformance today. That does it for us here on The Exchange. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, 
same place.